there was a lot of worry at the time that it would be sort of a loss of citizen engagement in government because those boards wouldn't have the responsibility of hiring people. I think it's proven successful, um, but there are still people around who kind of want the old days back. <laughs> Welcome to another GovGab radio podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this episode and excited to introduce town manager at the town of Needham, Massachusetts, Kate Fitzpatrick. Had a wonderful conversation with Kate as she's kind of moved up the ranks at the town of Needham for many years, I'm now holding the seat of the town manager. And we've really gotten to a lot of great discussion around what she's doing in the town, how they're kind of adapting, working with council, those type of things. So I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. Excited to get into it. So without further ado, let's jump into our chat today with Kate Fitzpatrick. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you, learn a little bit more about the town there as well as your journey. And that's actually where I want to start because, you know, when I when I talk with a variety of different, you know, uh, leadership roles from different uh, communities around the country, um, you know, sometimes with mayors, right, it's they're doing a short term. Maybe they've done some um, you know, on the council before some committees. You kind of dedicated your life to the public sector. Right. So yeah. I'm curious to start off. Why was that important for you? Was that something growing up you were always involved in or something that changed as you kind of got older? Can you start sharing that? And then we'll kind of go on some tangents from there. Absolutely. So um, you might find this interesting, Brian, that as an 11-year-old, I had a paper route. And I know you did too. Um, And so I spent a lot of time on the paper route. And the DPW folks from my town um, put up a replacement street sign on my street, and it was spelled wrong. So I live on Lindbergh Road, and it was named after Charles Lindbergh, and they left off the H. So I was 11. And I wrote a letter to the town saying, you know, why Charles Lindbergh is important and why the street name should be right. I mean, they came within like a week and changed it. And that for me was just really said, wow, if you live here, you can ask your town to help you and they will. So that was really my entry into my first foray into local government. As a side note, I can tell you the side note, on my 40th birthday, my husband called that town and got me a copy of the street sign for my birthday. And it came, and it was spelled wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a full circle never again, right? <laughs> exactly. Full yeah, circle, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, so why did you want to continue down that path then? What was what was intriguing about that for you? Right. So um, I went to school um, at a Jesuit institution whose motto is uh, "Men and Women for Others," and I really grew up in a service-oriented home where uh, it was expected that we um, would be involved in service. Um, and then I got an MBA with a concentration in public management. So it was all about um, working in government. I knew I never wanted to run for office. That wasn't something that I was interested in. But I, I've evolved in um, several jobs where working at different levels in government and trying to find the right one. Because really, it sounds trite, but helping people is one of the joys of life. And that's where I found my niche. 
Yeah, that's really awesome. So you've if I saw correctly, um, you, you've been in the with the town for for many years. Is that right? You've kind of worked your way up um, in the yeah. in different roles. Is that right? Can you start? Was it something intriguing? I'm just curious. I mean, that's a that's a rarity nowadays, right? To be in one kind of role or one uh, organization, we'll call it, quote unquote, right? Um, for an entire career or for a lot of career. Tell me what about the town intrigued you? Why, why have you kind of stayed around there? That's exactly right. And um, it's it's unusual to stay. It's not so unusual to stay in the same field, but it is fairly unusual to stay in the same town. So my first government job was with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and I worked in a, in a variety of roles, all in the human resource field. And I saw this job um, ad, and this is in the days, uh, you probably don't remember, when all jobs were in the newspaper and they were in tiny little print, you know, in a whole section. So I saw the job and I thought it was intriguing. And when I came here um, 20, more than 29 years ago, believe it or not, um, I was really struck by how close town officials are to the people they serve. So when I worked in the Commonwealth, of course, it was way pre 9-11, but people still didn't come into the building. Customers didn't come into the building. And when you work in a city or a town hall, they're right there. I mean, I, if you ask any city or town administrator or town manager if they've ever been followed into the restroom by a con somebody who wanted to ask them a question, they'd all say yes. So it's very local, um, and it really gives such an opportunity to be able to um, hear people's issues and try to respond to them on an individual basis as opposed to setting more sort of statewide policy. So I came here as the HR director, and uh, then I became the assistant town administrator, also HR at the same time. And then uh, my predecessor moved on to another community, and I became the town administrator. And then uh, a few years later, the town changed its form of government um, to create a town manager form of government, which is a slightly more centralized um, from a budget and um, a personnel perspective. So I became the town's first town manager. And so we've only had one town manager and we've only had only been a woman. So that's kind of a big deal for us. That's really interesting. And, and for the folks that maybe don't know about the different forms of government stuff, can you share like one, how did that impact going and changing that? Was that like most people didn't even know or care about that? Or was that like a big kind of ruffle some feathers um, in the town? Oh, I would say it's a big change. Um, and it may seem um, very unusual if, if you work in a city council, city manager form of government, and that's always been there. It's just so, uh, it's hard to imagine our form of government here in New England, where we, in our, in our case, we have a representative town meeting form of government, which means there's 252 residents who gather um, in May and uh, they do all the work. They do the zoning, they do the appropriating, they do the, the bylaw changes, and then they go away and <laughs> they might come back one day in the fall. And so the government is very slow um, and the work is done by sort of what we call a divided executive. So we have um, a select board who is sort of like a city council but doesn't have the legislative piece and that's who I work for. And then there are a number of other appointed and elected boards who at the time of the change in government hired their own staff. So the library trustees hired the library director, the park and rec commission hired the park and rec commissioner, that, those kinds of things. Um, so when we change the form of government, all of those appointments are now made by me um, and we've centralized uh, the budget development. And there was a lot of worry at the time that 
it would be sort of a loss of citizen engagement in government because those boards wouldn't have the responsibility of hiring people. I think it's proven successful, um, but there are still people around who kind of want the old days back. <laughs> I, I feel, yeah, they, they don't want to change. Old, they're old school and, and want to keep it that way. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what have you learned? I'm, I'm always intrigued, especially as you move up the ranks in different roles. And I think it's so vital the things you do. And maybe, hey, maybe go back to the paper route days. Um, but what have you learned kind of early in your career that's really set you up for success, you know, being the town manager now? I think that um, I'm, I find, my, in my way, I'm a kind of a relentlessly optimistic person. So, I really believe there's a solution to every problem, and um, on my best days, I can I can see it in the future. And so, I try to take every opportunity to hear people out and to connect with people directly. Making connections with people is the way that I find um, is the way to get the work done. Because in my particular situation, you know, issuing orders or directives isn't going to necessarily be successful. Um, and in a lot of ways, our jobs is just is to relationship build and to manage by persuasion. So I think I learned that early in terms of um, trying to make connections and trying to work with people directly um, as opposed to a top-down situation. And that's actually a good maybe, you know, sidestep with that. How do you work with the council and other committees and those type of things? Is that a, you have to dance around a lot of things? Is it, do you guys have more direct conversation? What's kind of the relationship there? Um, because obviously that could be, you know, there can be some contention points and some work very well together depending on the, the jurisdiction. That's right. So in Needham, we have a select board. Actually, it was called the Board of Selectmen until just this year. Um, and we um, asked the legislature to allow us to change it to, to select board, recognizing that words matter. Um, and so we have five members, they're all elected, and I work directly for them. And I think there's probably not a day goes by that I don't speak to one or two of them and uh, just to, you know, get, get feedback and concerns that they, um, that they see out in the community or that people ask them about. I think the most successful board manager relations have the highest level of communication and remembering to treat each member uh, equally in terms of the communication so that if, you know, if there's something, inf- information that you've passed on to one, just make a huge effort to get, get that information to everybody else. I think another tip for success for manager council or manager board relations is um, always respecting new ideas. I mean, if you've been in a place a long time, you know you've tried something four times, it didn't work, but you have a new elected person and they want to try it again, you have to really look at it and say, yep, we'll try it again. Um, kind of going outside of the comfort zone and looking at new approaches Um, I think that's especially true if you've been somewhere for a long time. Um, And I guess finally I would say that the the board members or council members are always out in the community hearing from people and that when when you possibly can, helping them solve their constituents' problems or telling them when they can be solved is just just really helpful for them. And they're usually doing this work so they can help people and make their community better. And so um, recognizing that and prioritizing it is, is critical. What do you find in, in terms of your specific role? And, and you kind of can take this a few ways. I, I kind of, you know, maybe the positive each and every day, if you kind of look at your date, and maybe it's something like, what would people be surprised to know that you do day in and day out that they, would, they wouldn't even think of um, from a town manager position? Well, I think the traditional, right, is I oversee all the departments, public works, police, fire. Um, 
I oversee emergency management through our departments as well, and that's something that um, maybe people don't know that communities are um, worried and concerned and actively involved in planning for emergencies on a, basically on a daily basis. That's something that would be different. Um, public works tends to take up probably 75% or more um, of, of the work that I'm thinking through. My director of public works and his staff are on speed dial because so much of what we do that people see and feel is public works. You know, potholes, streets, sidewalks, snow removal, water, sewer, parks, mowing, um, you know, street signs and those kinds of things. And they're really things that people can see every day and understand, so they're asking about them all the time. Traffic and parking tend to be the number one and number two things people want to come in and talk about or complain about. And I think maybe something people wouldn't expect is that um, our office here, we, we tend to end up being the default place where special events go. So we, we run a lot of special events in town and, uh, you know, we had recently um, a Needham resident, uh, Ali Raisman, who won uh, gold in two Olympics and we had two major community events in order to celebrate her. And um, we have a hometown hero, astronaut Sunita Williams. And so y you end up um, not knowing anything about NASA and then communicating with them. Um, so it's, uh, it's a little bit of a different thing every day. I'm wondering if you can share, and, and this is more curiosity on my, my uh, point, but maybe other folks have this as well, because I, I come from a small town, upstate New York. Um, some people may know Endicott. Um, but you get, a, obviously, with the varying weather conditions throughout the year, especially, obviously, the wintertime and the unknowns, how do you guys properly plan for that? And, and obviously, you only can plan so much, but from a budgeting standpoint, from a being able to know, hey, what patterns, like what do you guys look at to try to get ahead of some of those conditions, if you can at all? That's a great question. We have a very sophisticated snow operations. I mean, we had, we've had it for years because it's really, um, you know, the old joke is that that's what gets mayors unelected, right, is snow and potholes or trash pickup. Um, but it's evolved. We have a very strong map of the community. We have a mix of employees and contracted services who provide it. And um, some of our new generation uh, managers have really brought in technology to um, improve uh, snow ops, and they're using technology to call in all the contractors at the same time instead of having to dial 50 people, which was in the old days, and, and that all of their work gets uploaded and we don't have to enter the payroll anymore. Uh, we're, we're putting in a mesh network that might, um, in its next evolution, actually detect the temperature of the, of the roadway underneath so we'll know if we have icing emergency conditions. So strangely, technology has really improved um, our snow operations. In Massachusetts, uh, you can overspend your snow and ice budget. It's the only line you can overspend. So um, we essentially uh, we know what we tend to spend every year. We put that money in a reserve fund, and if it's not needed for snow, um, it just it it's uh, sent back to to the uh, fund balance. So um, snow operations is a very important uh, aspect of upstate New York and in the, in our part of Boston here. Um, it is something we think about all year. We have training on it. They have conferences on it. They practice it. So um, it, is, it is an important part of our work. What do you find from, from your role specifically? What's the favorite part of your job? I would say the variety. Every day there's something new. Um, you know, I, 
I'm, I'm talking to a group this morning about a feasibility study. I'm doing a podcast. Um, you know, it's just there's something new every day. Um, you really see tangible results when you're at the local level on the front line. So I can drive through town and see parks and rail trails and uh, buildings that I've had uh, a direct hand in um, being part of why they're there, and you see them every day. I think that that's really fulfilling. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, again, being able to do a lot of different stuff and, and you, know, you don't get bored with it, right? Um, that's, no, that's it's not boring. boring. <laughs> <laughs> what are some decisions you've made that you've, you know, you've been proud of um, kind of, in, and it could be span not just the town manager role, but as you said, some prior roles, even anything you can share that's you know, kind of been something impactful um, for the town that's been important for you? Sure. I would put those in two categories. I think the, the thing that I've been most happy about in Needham is being part of um, some of our capital facility projects. And uh, we had a school, for instance, that we couldn't rebuild on its own site. And I had a hand in actually buying a farm and we've transformed it into a school. Um, another one we had, we just, for about a decade, we tried to find a place to put a, a center for um, senior center. And we just couldn't find a location. And I was part of a, a, a team that made an arrangement with the Commonwealth to share land. And so those things, you, most people would say, wow, that, that's kind of behind the scenes. But that is the kind of work that we do. And so those are things I'm very proud of. We've added, many, many communities add school buildings, and, and we have as well. But in the last decade, we've added, we've renovated our town hall in a historic renovation, and we added a brand new outdoor pool with a new building. We added the senior center, and we added another administrative building, which is really unbelievable in terms of when you think of 15 years ago, all of those things were sort of happening in one building, and now we've spread out, and we've been able to improve our services through those buildings. So that's what I see as a really big accomplishment. The other thing sort of related to work, but also to some of my personal goals is that I was involved in the founding of the um, Women Leading Government chapter here in Massachusetts. And this is a, an organization that we're working with our state association to empower women to participate in local government and to succeed and to move up. Um, you may know that the number of women who are running uh, cities and towns across the country um, is up. It's stuck at 13% for years. It's up closer to 19% by by, um, by my account, but still it's nowhere near representative. There are a lot of women in local government, probably more than half of local government staff are women, but they're not, um, they're not willing to step up to the top job or to the second to the third tier jobs. And so um, I'm working with a lot of wonderful women here and across the country in order to um, take the time now to make inroads in that. Yeah, that's really neat. That's awesome. You're setting that up. What, what do you do from a you're doing a lot of different things, right? You're involved in a lot of stuff, hands in the, a lot of different pots. Do you have any like daily habits you follow or any routines to, to kind of keep you structured, keep your time kind of focused on certain things? Anything you do in particular you'd share? So um, the assistant town manager here calls it the bedrock laptop from the Flintstones. But I have a, you know, a sheet of yellow legal paper, and I have a list on that every single day. I am a list maker, and... Um, there's so much happening. If I don't write it down, I will forget it. So I make a lot of lists. I have a list um, just on that pad. I have a list on my rocket book. I have um, post-it notes everywhere. So I'm always trying to make um, 
make sure I don't forget things by list making, and then I can use those lists to prioritize, and I use the list to set my week. I try to set next week on Friday afternoon because it really helps me get in and hit the ground running on Monday. Um, I have long-term goals, and I sort of write those on my list to make sure I look at them a lot and trying to determine um, if something that I'm working on is really achieving our goals or if it's um, just easy. So that's why I'm working on it, you know, try to set habits that way. And I also believe in this. It's not quite inbox zero, but it's inbox 100 for me. If I can end the week with only 100 active emails, um, I just feel lighter <laughs> and better and able to uh, attack the work. Before I learned how to file on Outlook, I would have you know tens of thousands of emails because I didn't really know how to organize them. And so that's something I couldn't recommend highly enough is to just um, you know make your your inbox not quite so threatening to you. I, I agree fully with that. I've actually taken that mentality as well. Is like I try to get almost no when an e, when an email comes in, the certain times I look at them only um, keep the ones I need to, or you know either forward them on, delete them answer them and just get them out of there. So I, I agree with that philosophy as well. You don't feel bogged down. So exactly. Um, I, I want to, I'm going to take a, a, a slight off ramp for a second, because one of the things that we chat about before, but I'm curious, you know, learning, obviously evolving, kind of getting better. So you you now started a blog, you're into podcasting a little bit, share a little bit about that. Cause I'm curious of why you got into some of that stuff. And for podcasts, what are you listening to? What are some things you're learning from that experience? Oh, great question. So um, I felt I, I've at a point in my career where I wanted to do something to keep me, myself engaged and interested and, and also to share because once you get to a certain point, you know, people do tend to ask for your advice or your opinion and you know, trying to shape um, the local government community and make sure it's vibrant because it's, I've devoted my life to it. So I figure I want to make sure it, it stays um, active and vibrant. So uh, I started surveying some colleagues to see, you know, you know how, how do they balance work life? How do they handle all these night meetings? What is their resilience? When do they decide to change jobs? And so I've been taking that information and um, make, writing a book about it seemed kind of a daunting first step. And writing a blog is um, it, it's one of those things that does hang over you, I'm sure you know. But um, it's just an easy way to get some information out there, get a dialogue started with the people I care about. And um, it's just been a fun, creative outlet for me. So that's why I started to do that just last month, as a matter of fact. So, so that's a new thing. Um, and uh, podcasts, I actually had to have someone show me like where the podcast button was about a year ago. And then I follow, follow a lot of um, people who are in the, in the space of um, how to make yourself happier and more engaged at work, you know. So I listen, I listen to books about podcasts about books. I listen to podcasts about happiness. I listen to podcasts about time management, um, about meditation. I mean, all the things. And then there's, you know, some that are just for fun. A any particulars you'd call out, or? Oh boy. So <laughs> I, I listen. I listen to Laura Vanderkam before breakfast. She has a short one every day. I listened to Happier um, by Gretchen Rubin. Um, I listened to 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Um, I listened to The Lazy Genius. I listened to um, What Should I Read Next about books. And every day somebody's recommending a new one that I should be listening to. No, that's great. Yeah, the one I was going to um, I was gonna suggest, I don't know if you ever heard. Do you know who Adam Grant is? Oh, yes. Yep. 
Yeah, he has. I think it's called Work Life, um, if yeah. I recall. If I'm, uh, I'm trying to pull up here now as I'm talking to you. Um, I believe <laughs> that's what it's called. But anyways, that's a phenomenal. Um, yeah, Work Life. Um, that's a really cool one. It gives a lot of insight um, into into work life balance and things to think about, organizational structure, those type of things. So that's another so one. You, that's really it's exactly what is interesting about podcasts is that every time I listen to one, somebody's on it who has their own podcast, so they listen to them. So like. Um, Andy P. Freeman, the Do the Next Right Thing. I think they were all talking about Adam Grant on the last round of podcasts I listened to. So I'll, oh, really? I'll take your advice. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah there's some really you know, good You can't ones. forget Gov Love, too, you know, the ELGL podcast where they talk to people um, in our business. So Absolutely. I have that one, too. So um, I'm always recommending them to people. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, you know, the nice thing is a podcast that they a lot of them go very niche. So, again, depending on what you want to learn about, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to find someone you like and, and kind of stick with it. So that's really cool. Um, is, you know, I, let me just add one more thing is that um, I, I'm one of those people who doesn't like to do just one thing at once. So if I'm walking, I've actually started running to them, too. So, you know, it's good for exercise. It's good for having something to do if you have to commute. Um, that's what they're really great for. And you can start your own up there. You're doing your blogging. Maybe you start one for the town. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put you on the spot for that. <laughs> I think I'll leave that to you for now. <laughs> there, there you go. I appreciate that. Um, well, a couple more things I, I just wanted to get your take on, because obviously looking at the, the growth of the town and, and what you guys expect, what, what are some challenges maybe you guys are foreseeing over the next few years or anticipating that maybe you're trying to get ahead of, or at least you know having it focused in your mind a little bit to be more proactive with? Yes. So we have spent a lot of money lately on new buildings. Our most recent is that we're um, totally reconstructing our main police and fire station and um, our secondary fire station. And we have a, a big school project that's ongoing right now and some other small projects. So the community has been very generous and very supportive, but there are, there are still um, a number, probably five high priority structures that we really need to address. And it's going to be very hard to add um, anything to the tax burden that we already have out there. So it takes a lot of careful planning to try to figure out um, how to get those needed infrastructure uh, projects moving when we've just done so many. Um, and we're also mindful about making sure that we, keep, we capture this economic development wave that's, that's happening right now. The economy is good. We're prime located to get some more economic development happening. And those projects tend to uh, relieve the tax burden for our residents. And how, how do you guys prioritize those things? You said, hey, there's like five things on the list. And, and who knows, maybe there's a couple other smaller ones. Um, but how do you guys prioritize? Is it based fully on what budget's available or is it just aging infrastructure? Like this has to be done. There's no question about it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. We have a very robust planning process. Every year we develop a five-year capital plan. Every seven to 10 years, we do another master plan for all of our facilities, and we map out um, exactly what order we want to do things, and then we plan our spending accordingly. Um, we've had some projects where we've actually saved up some cash in order to, to be able to get the project going. So when you have a building that you, need, that you know you need to do, let's say it's $7 million, one of our last buildings, we pulled together funding from from all sorts of different places so that it wasn't all borrowing so that we could um, get that project done. So it's, a, it's tackling each project creatively, but also having a plan so that when debt falls off from some projects, the new ones are coming on, um, and then that's just all, all known. And do you get an opportunity, again, being how swamped you are with a lot of this different stuff, do you get an opportunity to talk a lot with your peers either in the area or across the country on 
what they're doing well, or maybe seeing, hey, they're not doing that this well, we should avoid that. Do you get that opportunity at all? Yes. In fact, um, I'm very involved in our state association, and we're a fairly small state, so um, we are able to have, you know, seven to ten um, formal uh, events a year that we meet together, and it really is the best part about it is the networking and trying to find out um, what is working and what isn't working. I talk to colleagues a lot either by email or, or on the phone, less so on the phone than they used to be. And um, also um, participate with um, the International City Management Association, and I've met a lot of people that way, and so I'm able to reach out. I serve on a couple of national boards, so that's a really good way to hear what's happening in other places. Um, most, the most often thing people want to know is, is town meeting really a thing? And so I spend a lot of time educating people on our, on our form of government. Um, but then I've, I've gotten some great approaches to some innovative things that um, we could be doing here uh, from people from other states. Anything to, to share that might be worth note? Or? Well, um, we actually had a, a conference on innovation in, in April. And using technology, in fact, um, Dude Solutions and City, C-Click-Fix, using some of these technologies um, to do even more interesting things. When I was at that conference, we used C-Click-Fix for our work order uh, system in Public Works, and we are implementing a, um, a Big Belly uh, trash solution here in Needham, Big Belly headquartered and founded in Needham, I would point out. Um, and I found out at that conference that Big Belly will, can actually interact with C-Click-Fix without a human involved, and that was such a it's just a great thing to learn about, and I've been pursuing, like, well, how could we make that happen here? And I never would have known that um, if I hadn't been at that conference. Yeah, that's really great. Again, that continual knowledge. Again, are we going to do it now or in the future, but at least having that um, insight there is really cool. Well, let me ask you this. So obviously, you know, spanning your career, all the different things you've learned and experienced and conversations you have, whatever, as kind of a lasting impression of the interview here, and you could take this on whatever tangent you want, um, kind of more open form here. What advice would you share? Is there, is there a quote you live by? Is there a certain kind of structure of advice you'd like to give one or two pieces of nuggets? And this could be, I, I kind of like to, to ask you to take it in two uh, forms. One is other city leaders, um, maybe it's other, you know, council members, mayors, et cetera, advice to them. And then to, you know, the citizen out there and things that they could be doing or advice to share to them. Anything in particular in those two categories you'd kind of share to end the interview on? Yes, I would say um, advice to other managers is um, be as upbeat as possible, uh, listen closely to what's happening in your community, and um, I like to say that there's nothing that substitutes for a story. If you're trying to get something um, passed, it could be anything, um, a big initiative or a small initiative, or, or why you need to cut down six trees on this street that nobody wants cut down. What's the story about that, you know? Uh, give the examples of where trees have fallen down if they're dead or that they cause the most problems in, in storms and that kind of thing. So using story really gets um, people in the community to understand what it is that we're trying to do. Um, for, for residents, I would say um, I think that the, a good way to be involved is to, to find something that's important to you and then um, get involved in it. A lot of times, residents will get their first interaction, real interaction with local government is when they're opposed to something. Um, that's what gets people out. They don't want this structure there. They don't want this thing happening. They don't want a rail trail in their backyard. Um, and for people, uh, if they're opposed to something, to get out and to be open-minded for compromise because there's always 
there's always people on one or the other side um, of a proposal. And I think I found many, many people who've come out um, to be involved stay involved because then they realize how how much residents can affect their own uh, hometown by participating and volunteering, and then they stay and they stay volunteered. So I think that's the advice I would give them. That's really awesome. Kate, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, really, really nice to get to talk with you, um, hear about your journey a little bit and some of the great things you guys are doing there in the, uh, in the town. So thank you so much for, uh, for coming on today. Great. Thanks for having us. And Needham is a great place. Hey, everyone. Just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. Um, please head over to iTunes. Leave us a quick review. Give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing so we can make this podcast better each and every episode um, and really put out a good product here. Um, for you guys to listen in and learn a little bit more about your local communities and some of the folks that are running them. Um, We certainly appreciate you sticking in, um, listening through these and providing that feedback and hope you guys will join on the next episode. Take care and have a phenomenal day.